0: Okay, we're going to continue on through our anchor sermon series. We've been going through this for a little bit, and um, what we're doing is going through the Westminster Catechism. Um, what I didn't know when I started the series is that anchors were uh, an, in the early church were a symbol of those who followed Christ, that they would anchor themselves to uh, to Christ. And so, catechism, as some of you know and some of you don't know, is a way of training ourselves theologically. Um, to have good theology in our relationship with Christ. And so it's questions and answers. And so theological training goes all the way back to the early church because theology is really important in our relationship with God. And just as a simple example, if you believe that God is angry, that is a theology. You have a theology that God is angry. And if you believe that, then you'll live your life in a way that would probably be fearful because God's angry and you're always trying to make Him happy and you got got to watch out for what you do, which is not a good theology. But if you believe that God is loving, then you will be able to live your life freely because you know that He loves you and that your relationship is predicated on grace and that He's good. And so theology, the, what you believe about God, is extremely important. So catechism is a way of helping us to see God rightly. We're going through the Westminster Catechism which was uh, created uh, in 1648 by the Church of Scotland, England, and Ireland. And again, it has 107 questions and answers. We've gone through several, and the ones that we've gone through so far is, number one, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. How did mankind become sinful? Uh, In what ways was Christ humiliated within His own creation? How does the Holy Spirit apply to believers? What benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? What is the fourth commandment? Uh, what, uh, which is the fifth commandment? And then today, uh, what we're going to be doing is going through um, the tenth, uh, still going through the Ten Commandments. Um, and we can't. we have to have Charlton Heston up there if we're going through the Ten Commandments. And it's important to remember that the Ten Commandments in many ways, act as like guardrails. And again, I've used this imagery of people or, well, I guess it's just not young kids because maybe some of you guys use the rails too. I I don't know. Anyone want to admit to using the rails? All right? There you go. Thank you. Proud. It's awesome. Um, And so the guardrail's in the bowling alley, right? that keeps it in there so it doesn't go into the gutter. The ball to go into the gutter. And so the Ten Commandments can be seen in a similar way. Like, what is it? How should I act before God? What what should I do? How should I behave? And so the Ten Commandments act as kind of guardrails. Like, okay, well, this creates limits on how I should use my time. And so... um, Here are the Ten Commandments. You shall not have no other gods before me. Uh, Do not make any idols. Don't take the name of the Lord God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. And don't be jealous of what your neighbor has. And so... um, They act as guardrails, but I think ultimately what God is aiming at is that we would be so transformed by Christ that we would become the type of people that would just live this out naturally. We wouldn't have to look at the Ten Commandments as reference. Am I breaking one? Am I not? But that we follow Christ so closely that we we are transformed into His image, and these are the type of people that we become. So uh, today we're going, this is the last time we'll be in one of the commandments, um, which is the 10th commandment, and they use uh, old language. The 10th commandment is, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. So this is question 79 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And so today we're going to be talking about covening. Covet. Uh, what does it mean to covet? What does it mean to have jealousy? What does it mean to be envious of other people and the things that they have? And... I mean, I think that being envious and jealousy is something that we all wrestle with to some degree. I mean, it's just kind of what we all wrestle with it. We, for the most part, assume that other people's lives are easier than our own. When we look at other people, we're like, well, seemingly they have it easier than I do. Or we assume what they have is, is better. And we even have a term for it, which I didn't actually know was a comic strip, um, from the 1920s, which is uh, "Keeping Up, Keeping Up with the Joneses." Sorry. I think we've all heard that term, this idea that the Joneses live down the street, and when they get a new car, then it makes me realize that I need a new car. They get a new paint job, and I need a new paint job. And so I'm constantly trying to keep up with the Joneses. Um, Sorry for anyone whose last name is the Joneses. I've known some of them. Um, But this idea that we are envious of other people. I think it's interesting that we're still why do we still envy anything at this point in time i mean this is something that i've spoken about before like we literally right now in 2023 in america live in the most materialistically wealthy culture to have ever existed on the face of the earth that is a huge statement as humans we have never enjoyed more material wealth What once was the possession of only the rich is now everyday items. So when you think about all these slides that I'm about to put up, if you think this is normal or like, wow, this is amazing. You're like, this is 100% normal that I should have fresh fruit. And not only fresh fruit that's local, right? Not just olives from Corning. or I mean, this is fruit from all over the globe just amazing that we would think that this is normal this would be the possession of the rich I don't know how many years ago but not as far back as you actually think this idea that we would have fresh vegetables we just think this is hundred percent normal but it used to just be the possession of the the rich fresh meat any type of meat I want. Any cut of meat I want. Totally, I mean, clean. I mean, if you've ever been around the world, and then you're hanging out at your local R&R butcher, you're like, I'm a lucky man. <laughs> I'm a lucky, lucky man. I remember being in Thailand <laughs> one time, and I ate this burger, and I, ch- and I bit into it, and I'm like, I- this is not USDA beef. <laughs> like, at all. Like there's there's something wrong going on here. This is beef. Uh, I'm not sure where the cow came from. I mean this, this is this is a luxury. Okay. Um, at one point in time, there used to be that the spice road because you could only get so many spices. I all I have to do is go down to Safeway, and sits before me is more spices than kings were able to get at one point in time in human history. And I think it's 100% normal. I actually might get mad at the price of a spice and be like, this is outrageous. I can't believe this. Crazy, huh? Or this idea, I mean, this is a picture from World War I. They didn't have TVs. They all sat around radios. And they, I mean, they, here's the thing. These people are thinking they're really cool. This is the latest technology. And nowadays... I mean, what do, what do we have, which is this kind of, I mean, we have home movie theaters. We think home movie theaters are normal. It's totally normal. An 84-inch flat screen TV is like, not, it's not only normal, like you're entitled to that. This gal here, man, headphones. <laughs> You're like, hey, let's listen to some music. It's cool. It's not on a phonograph. Again, this, is, this woman is not poor. This is like the tip of technology. Whereas nowadays, you know, everyone has earbuds. Totally normal. And you're walking around with this computer that makes phone calls, so you call it a phone. And you, not even do you think it's cool. You actually think it's an entitlement. Like it's a completely normal When I was living down in San Luis Obispo I had the chance to go to Hearst Castle, and, you know, Hearst Castle, back, I mean, still even to this day, I mean, it's, it's just incredible. And somehow one of the guys that worked there, and he invited me, he's like, hey, you can go swimming in the, the pool. I'm like, oh, no way, this is awesome. So we went there, and, and then we were, to, one of the things that they had by the pool were showers, which we just think is completely normal. But when Hearst built that castle, no, it was like one of the first showers. It was like this revolutionary thing, and no one wanted to take showers because they actually didn't believe it would make you clean. And so here, just the ultra rich have showers where everyone in here, I assume, has a shower. It's an everyday thing. You know, I come, my mom's side of the family is Italian, and um, she would tell me stories about her dad and their family. They only bathed once a week, it's totally normal for them. My grandpa took a bath once a week. I shower every day <laughs> and I think it's normal. Not only that, I feel like I'm pretty entitled to that. So indoor plumbing, electricity. I mean, here's another, antibiotics, crazy. I mean, that's crazy stuff right there, right? If you ever watch Walking Dead and they're like, we need antibiotics. I mean, we have all that stuff all the time. Uh, cars, that's pretty amazing. Roads, a closet full of, of, of clothes. I mean, if, you, if you're going out there and you see Goodwill and all these secondhand stores, we have so much stuff. We have more than we've ever had. Are we happier? And the reality is, is that there's several studies that suggest we aren't happier. And that we may experience happiness for a moment, but it goes away. Here's a study from UC Berkeley. This won't come as a surprise to anyone tracking the science of happiness, which suggests that material things are unlikely to boost our happiness in a sustained or meaningful way. In fact, research suggests that materialistic people are less happy than their peers. They experience fewer positive emotions, are less satisfied with life, and suffer higher levels of anxiety, depressions, and substance abuse. Whoa. Whoa. Sorry, Costco. We have more stuff, but is it, is it, it helps in certain ways, but it's not helping. There's also another study, an 80-year happiness study by Harvard, what makes us happy, um, because we're becoming more and more materially rich. Shouldn't we be uh, happier? What, what they did find uh, created true happiness was actually connection, relationships, meaningful connections where we actually have relationship with one another. Here are some of their findings, which I I thought were really interesting. Uh, 40% of Americans say they are sometimes or always feel their social relationships are not meaningful. 20% describe themselves as lonely or socially isolated. 28% of older adults live alone. From a pure physical health perspective, researchers say loneliness is as bad for you as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Stuff doesn't make us happier. What does? Gratitude. That's what UC Berkeley would say. We need to be uh, have more gratitude. Uh, what really leads us to true happiness? Meaningful relationships. Deep relationships where you know whether, uh, one another. You're known and, and and you know. That it's not just, you know, we know... Things about us that maybe aren't all the flattering things. We've moved beyond that into true relationship. And so what we can say about this, gratitude and relationships, the Bible points us in the same direction. I mean, if you look at these studies and then you read the Bible, you're like, well, I'm pretty sure the Bible is saying very similar things, although they might use terms like praise and community. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a majority of the New Testament, offers another important counterpoint uh, counterpoint to envy, which is contentment. So he's speaking to uh, his uh, friend in the faith, his name is Timothy, and he says this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, verses 6-10. through But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So again, this idea of godliness with contentment, which is something, a verse that I've quoted so many times to myself. It is great gain. Godliness, my relationship with Him, and contentment. So when we think about being content, content doesn't mean being rich. He's not saying you need to make more money. And contentment doesn't mean being poor, like I need to give everything up and just live this reclusive life. Being content means being good with what you have it means being good with uh, who you are when we think about contentment there is this sense of rest in it that that my soul my soul can be at rest I'm i'm okay with where i'm at and i'm okay with who i am i'm content there there's a peace in contentment. A good question to ask in terms of co- a contentment, which I think a lot of people within the faith ask, is how, how is the condition of your soul? It's always a, a wonderful question to ask someone else. Maybe we should put it on the list of questions to ask during greeting time. How is your soul? <laughs> but it's a really good question. How is your soul? And if we answer honestly, then, you know, some of us might be in difficult places, and that's okay. But Paul isn't just talking about contentment, he's talking about godliness with contentment. Again, in the beginning of your faith, when you're young in the faith, the The Ten Commandments can be like guardrails. Do this and don't do this. But we have to remember that Jesus didn't come down to create a new religion called Christianity that was not his goal. He didn't say like, well, Judaism isn't working, so I'm going to replace it with another system or another religious uh, idea. He came to set us free. He came to give us life. He came to give us a new way of being human, And so knowing you shouldn't envy your neighbor's stuff is good, right? You're like, oh, I have to look over their Garden is just so perfect. I mean, I don't know if anyone else does this, but when you're looking at other people's front yards, you're like, that's a really nice yard. (laughs) My yard does not look nice. Looks kind of like a desert landscape. We did the dry scape. Looks more like a desert landscape right now, but we're trying to fix it. Uh, Look away from the Porsche. I that it wouldn't be nice to drive one, right? So knowing you shouldn't envy your neighbor's stuff is really good. But if the goal is godliness and contentment, first off, we're trying to work on our relationship with God and that I need godliness and contentment. And so finding contentment in our relationship with Christ. I'm content in my relationship with Him. He's all I need. Do I want a better garden? Probably. Would I mind driving a Porsche to Eureka? No, I wouldn't mind that at all. But I have all I need in Him. I am who I'm created to be. Because it is tough. We do live in a land filled with treasures, but we find godliness when we make Jesus our ultimate treasure. He says this in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 19 through 21, and then verse 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Do not store up for yourselves treasure, uh, treasure on earth. You cannot serve both God and money, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So begs the question, where is uh, your treasure? And I think we all wrestle with this. I know I do. Like, how how do I navigate all this? I know that when I was uh, younger in my faith, um, and I don't really know where this all came from, um, but I used to think that all, all of it was, like, nonsense. I wanted, you know, when I got saved, I was... All I had for the most part was my VW bus, long hair, tie-dye, and I'm you know, driving around town going to Grateful Dead shows, all these things. And then I got saved, and I just assumed you were just supposed to be poor for Jesus, and anyone who wasn't poor for Jesus wasn't sold out. And I don't think that that theology was just mine either. I know that for a lot of friends that I had that went through the Jesus movement, a lot of my friends actually were told, don't save up for retirement at all because Jesus will come back before you retire. So this idea of being poor for Jesus... Or even on the flip side, in terms of the prosperity gospel, you have very extreme, again, theologies, because theology is extremely important because what you believe about God will shape the way in which you uh, live your life. So I thought being poor for Jesus was the thing, and anyone who wasn't sold out enough to give everything away for Jesus was not sold out enough. I was wrong. Because once I started having kids, I'm like, how poor am I supposed to be? Like, these things are expensive, man. Like, what are we supposed to do? This isn't cool. So wait, hold on. I'm on food stamps. I have this whole idea that I'm supposed to be poor for Jesus, but like, I'm on food stamps? Like, how is this working out? This is weird. Not that food stamps are bad as a means to an end, but I was like, hold up. I got a great education. Like, this is just weird. So I thought that. Uh, but I'm not the only one. I've never shared this on a Sunday morning, and I try, I'm try. i like, I have to try and fit this in here because I think it's a really cool story. Um, on November 7th, because I'm not the only one that thinks being poor for Jesus is uh, virtuous. Um, on November... November 7th, 1910, people found what they thought was a homeless man in a train station in a remote village in uh, Russia. Does anyone know who this guy is? Like they literally just stumbled upon, the, I'm sad Scott's not here, they, he's an English professor at Shasta. They, li, they found this guy curled up, dead, and they thought he was a homeless person. Anyone have any idea who this guy is? Who is it? No, it's... A, <laughs> <Dumbledore>. <laughs> What's that? Uh, give me one. Exuver- unbelievably close. Give me the next one. Tolstoy. Yeah, Leo, Leo Tolstoy. There he is. Yeah, that they... Leo Tolstoy is considered one of the greatest novelists of all time. Wrote War and Peace. I mean, just one of the most amazing minds. And he was a Christian... And he started to adopt some very interesting theologies. Like he set up his own community. He thought that um, being intimate with his wife was actually uh, adultery, all sorts of stuff. And then so obviously he was well-to-do per se because he had written all these books. But he ended up just being found in a train and they thought he was a homeless guy. And then they're like, whoa, this is like a national treasure, So I'm not the only one who has thought that being poor for Jesus was some type of virtuous thing. And then on the other hand, I've never actually ventured into prosperity gospel because I've always thought that it was absolute nonsense. So I guess that'll be a summary of my thoughts on the prosperity gospel. Um, However it's not bad to want more I actually think that it's natural for all of us to actually want more because I think it creates stability for us and if you're married you have kids and you realize that you're like wait actually we need to be stable and I was talking to another friend of mine and he was we were talking about finances because at this point in time we're actually doing fairly well he says you know when the world looks around at what it you know means to be a follower of Christ uh, hopefully they're able to find people who are actually really good with their finances, and then they are stable, and they say, like, how do you do that? Like, how how do you invest in such a way that's, like, you know, uh, good? And, and how do you handle finances? Because um, there's all these different voices out there, and we should absolutely be one of them. But there's always this tension of, like, how, you know, how do I handle all of these Things. We should really be good stewards of our finances. It's something that God has given us, and if you're good, if you're a good steward of your finances, I mean, and this is just a reality. They generally, your re, your uh, resources should grow. I can't think of anyone who's like I'm really good with my finances and resources, and that doesn't mean that it's growing in some way, and that's okay. Um, stuff isn't bad. Having money isn't bad. Um, Entertainment isn't bad. It's just not meant to fill your soul. Like, I just bought tickets to go see Steve Miller, who's playing at the Civic, hello, in September. And I'm like, that's not bad. But you won't be seeing me, like, bow down to Steve. (laughs) It's just a time to go enjoy and have a good time with my wife and my mom, who wanted to go. Paul says the love of money is evil, not that money is evil. Jesus says you can't serve two masters, not money is evil. Again, um, you know, money is just a thing, and the way in which we use it, like, stuff isn't bad, stuff isn't my God. Entertainment isn't bad, but it's not meant to fill my soul. I go out having a good evening, but, you know, it's not going to answer all the questions I have about myself. So the UC. Here, here, UC Berkeley and Harvard and the Bible—they finally agree, right? What creates, <laughs> what creates happiness, and what creates happiness is gratitude, being thankful for what it is that I have. Like right now, just being thankful, and there's so many things to be thankful for. One of the things that I do. Um, in my other job as a therapist, in one of the group exercises we do, and we've actually done it here, you just go through the alphabet and you just name something that starts with that letter that you're thankful for. An apple. Bread. Um, curly, fl- uh, curly fries. Right? You just go through. I'm not sure why I don't mind our food. Um, right? You just go through there and you're just like, it's being thankful because as you cultivate thankfulness as a habit, then you don't have to be envious or fall into that trap, oh my gosh, I don't have this or I don't have that, but being thankful for everything it is that you have. And then community, right? Again, Berkeley, Harvard, and the Bible agree for once. Gratitude and community, that we need relationships. I mean, we, are, we are so, at this point in time, I feel like we're becoming more and more isolated. You know, social media, all these things, just so little time spent in real relationship. And real relationships are scary at the same time. Because people find uh, things out about you that you don't want them to know. And you find things out about people, you're like, I wish I didn't know that. But that's real. That's real relationships. Pretty sure all of your deep relationships that you have with anyone are with people who know things, deep things about you and you know deep things about them. It is scary. But it's worth it. And last, um, we all wrestle with envy. When you feel envious, what are you envious about? I, I really appreciate uh, Tony uh, Stoltzfus, my friend. Is, uh, one of the things he'll say is that, um, why don't you go and take a little bit of time and just go ask Jesus about that? And just getting away. When you feel envy... Why don't you take a break and go and ask Jesus about that. Jesus, what are you trying to reveal in my heart? Jesus, what are you trying to show me? Jesus, why am I envious about this? So you came into the world with nothing and you'll leave with nothing. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Exodus 20, 17, the 10th commandment, you must not covet your neighbor's house, you must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. We're going to take communion. We do this every Sunday. Communion is the sign of the covenant, the sign of the promise that we have with Jesus. Um, it's not in gold and diamonds, it's not in things that are hard to get, it's literally bread and fruit, because the kingdom of God is meant to be an everyday, every household thing, that anyone who wants to partake can, because these things exist to the common man. The way that we do it is if you are a believer in Jesus or if you would like to start believing in Jesus today, then you are welcome to come forward and take communion. We come down the center aisle here, you grab a piece of the cracker, you dip it into the wine and then you go around the sides like this so we have a good little flow here. We all hold on to the communion elements and then we will partake together at the end. So if you would like to take communion, please come on down.
1: There is no distance.
0: Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for being born in our likeness and taking our sin upon the cross and defeating death on the third day. We thank you that in your body and in your blood that we have the promise of salvation, the promise of the resurrection, and that we can enjoy that with you now. Thank you. Let's partake. why don't we stand a couple things Uh, at the end of our service we do if people want prayer for something mm, come down to the front and lay hands on you and pray for you we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to uh, help you to get traction in certain things in your life that you might need help with spiritually emotionally financially whatever that is that when we pray together that God moves in powerful ways If not, I'm just going to pray a prayer of blessing over us before we leave. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you invite us into this journey and that we're not alone, that we have brothers and sisters to help us to journey with. Uh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would um, talk to us about the things that we believe we're lacking or that we're envious about uh, or ways in which you want to fill the void that we keep trying to fill with things that don't belong there. So Holy Spirit, speak to us. Open our eyes and our ears to be able to see all that you have for us this week. And we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you want a prayer, uh, please come on up.